Hey everyone, it's David Duchovny. Do you ever feel like a failure? Trust me, I get it. Hell, I've spent my whole life almost feeling like a failure. It's appropriate though, because on Fail Better, my new podcast with Lemonada Media, exploring the world of failure, how it holds us back, propels us forward, and ultimately shapes our lives is the whole point. Each week I'll chat with artists, athletes, actors, and experts about how our perceived failures have actually been our biggest catalysts for growth, revelation, and even healing. Through these conversations, I hope we can learn how to embrace the opportunity of failure and fail better together. Fail Better is out on May 7th, wherever you get your podcasts. Happy 2024! New year, new you, right? Let me guess. You're thinking about joining a new gym, starting a fad diet, buying that... Theragun everyone's always yammering on about, <laughs> I've got a better idea. Listen to my podcast. I'm Samantha B, writer, comedian, and host of Choice Words from Lemonada Media. This whole month of January, we're going to help you make better choices in 2024. We'll go beyond superficial hacks and get at the truth of how to lead a more meaningful life. Just search for Choice Words on your podcast player of choice and hit follow so you don't miss an episode. Now that is a good choice. Lemonada. I'm Kiki Monique, and this is I'm Sorry, a podcast about apologies. And this week, I slept in my bed, not my couch, every single day this week. Oh, wow. And this is Mohanad Sheikhi, and I'm excited to talk about uh, Elizabeth today. Not Holmes, but the Queen. Where is she? Is she dead? Is she alive? I still believe that she's dead, and all of these videos of her are pre-recorded, so we'll see. And my name is Oha Lopez, and this week um, I was a master of disguise because I Febrezed my whole house. Just to keep it, just to keep it tight. Open all the windows, Febreze everything. And, uh... I like the scent of, you know, fabric heavy-duty 2X odor elimination powder um, all over my house. Smells clean. Yeah. I just really like it more than a candle. I can't help myself. Mm. <laughs> Hello, everybody, and welcome to I'm Sorry. Uh, we are so excited to be here together again. Today, we are going to talk about Elizabeth Ann Holmes. But first, we do have a quick announcement. Uh, so Lemonada Media, which is the company behind our show, has a new series that we are so excited to support. Uh, it is a podcast called After 1954, and they explore what happened after the historic ruling of Brown versus Board and talk about desegregation. But also, did you know that 38,000 black educators lost their jobs in the wake of the 1954 ruling? And I didn't until I heard this timely and moving five-part series. So I definitely encourage you to check out After 1954, wherever you get your podcast. I'm so excited for everybody to to listen to it. Yeah, for sure. I definitely did not learn about this in my public education <laughs> schooling. Yeah. So uh, now I have to learn everything through podcasts and TikTok. 
Yeah, I'm very excited. And now to talk about a rich white lady, um, <laughs> which I did learn a lot about uh, in uh, my public education school. Yeah, <laughs> learn too much about. Yep. Yeah, we love this this uh, archetype. Um, so, I mean, I've heard so much about Elizabeth Ann Holmes over the course of like the last two to three years. So, mm-hmm. and there's so much media about her. So, um, so Elizabeth Ann Holmes is born in 1984 in Washington D.C. So she's a nice, thick millennial. You know what I mean? She's like, she is, <laughs> Moana's laughing. He's like, why thick? Why? <laughs> I don't mean that she as a person is thick. I mean, she's born in the thick of it, you know? Okay. In the thick of it. Yeah. And, um, you know, she's growing up with like Steve Jobs and all these people. And she's born in Washington, D.C. And her father, which, wait for this name, Christian Rasmus Holmes the Fourth. That's his full mm. name, which, you know, that doesn't quite, you know, give off the, like, blue-collar vibes that, say, a Chrissy Teigen Porky's backdrop gives us, you know? But he was a VP at Enron, which this is definitely, you know, talked about in the in the yeah. TV show, in the new biopic. But he's working for an energy company that later goes bankrupt. Um, I don't know if you heard of that little accounting fraud scandal. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Enron. Um, just a little, a little snafu. And then her mother, Noelle Ann, uh, worked as a congressional committee staffer. So both of them held pretty executive positions in government agencies like the EPA, the USTDA. But again, basically the idea is they're both like actually very well-connected people. Mm-hmm. And then her grandparents and her great-grandparents are uh, the mayor of Cincinnati from 1900 to 905 and an oh. entrepreneur. So it's like she's coming down from a line of of rich white ladies and rich white dudes, which I think she sort of acts like yeah. in a lot of ways. Um, so she goes to high school in St. John's School in Houston, which, guess what, is where I just lived for a decade. And I lived mm. four blocks away from this high school. You know, another person who also went to this high school, Wes Anderson. Wow. Oh, okay. So this is like a – this is – a lot of lives are coming into connection here. But this is also the setting for Rushmore Academy, which is like the Rushmore movie, um, that Wes Anderson. So he went back to his alma mater, and that's where that movie was shot. That's just my <laughs> a small fact here for no reason. And then, you know, during high school, she's interested in computer programming and she starts kind of her first business selling C++ compilers to Chinese universities. So she's already like, she's got it. She kind of knows what she wants to do. Yeah. And then after that, she begins attending, you know, Stanford University. So Stanford, it's a really interesting place for her in particular Because she's studying chemical engineering and she's working as a student researcher, but Stanford has kind of like a history of supporting people who have patents and different ideas. And so if you connect with professors, they also have connections in terms of patent applications. And then Stanford School of Engineering ended up, uh, one of the professors of Stanford School of Engineering ended up supporting her endeavor. So then she later kind of, you know, created Theranos, but... I mean, at the end of her freshman year, Elizabeth worked at the Genome Institute um, of Singapore and basically was working with the SARS COVID virus. <laughs> so this is or the COV car. It's kind of like the first iteration of, of the SARS virus. Mm. So that's just an interesting tidbit for her, too. So she filed her first patent application on the wearable drug delivery patch. And that's a little bit of what 
we see in the show. So, I mean, I guess when I was that age, I just didn't have these grand ideas. Like, did you guys have this big idea of what you were going to do with your life when you were 19? Well, I think like so much of like what I appreciate about like the series and the podcast and all of the things that go into it is she came from such a storied background, like a legacy, right? Like you talked yeah. about like her family was, you know, the mayor, but like also she came from the Fleischmann's yeast you know, it became big again during quarantine because everyone was making bread, right? But I remember thinking about yeast. Fleischmann's was the only yeast I thought existed. Yeah. And of course, I mean, that money didn't make it to her because I don't know if they blew it or whatever happened. But <laughs> like, happens. that is her heritage. And so I think just in her head, she just knows that she needs to be this great as well because yeah. i imagine that she's probably told stories all her life growing up of like oh your great grandfather did this and you know your your grandpa did that you know and so i think that's probably why she just had these great expectations yeah, yeah. and i think it's also you know like seeing your dad lose his job and uh having to go and ask money from other people and all of that stuff i understand the mentality of just being like i will make something and I will never like let my dad, let my family like get to that level again. I want to be able to provide and 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 all of that stuff. So like I get that angle. I get like where she's like coming from, but like I feel like sometimes you know like like you do something and like you have like these great expectations, but then it doesn't work the way you want it. But you're just like double down on it because you're too embarrassed to fail at that point. Yeah. And you have all these expectations of of yourself and comparing yourself. I mean, like, I can't, it's almost like you're walking all the way to the peak of a mountain and you know you're going to have to come back down. You know you're going to have to throw yourself off of it. And yeah. the further up you go, the harder you're going to fall. Absolutely. And it definitely seems like this is something that her family history sort of primes her for in a way. She's very much like a, if you can see it, you can be it kind of person. And she done seen it. Like she's seen people be extremely successful around her. And that inspires her to think really, really big, which is, I, I think, a great quality in a human being. And like, we are in an era of like, what is your vision? Like, how can you change the world? And she keeps kind of focusing on that, even at this point in her life. And so it, it seems like it's a really good priming situation for, for what's to come. Yeah. I mean, that's something that's like ingrained in a lot of people because you keep hearing all of these like specific stories about like people who no one believed in and they just like uh, went against the current and they did what they wanted and did not listen to people who are like downing them and eventually succeeded. But, you know, sometimes like people don't understand, like sometimes you should listen to feedback and you're doing something wrong. It's not like not everyone is a hater, basically. Sometimes you're way like over your head and you're not, you don't know what you're doing, which is why I always say that we need to, we need more people to have imposter syndrome. I think, <laughs> yeah, I think, yeah, I think we need that. Like people like we should get rid of like, nope, we need more people with imposter syndrome because uh, a lot of the wrong people really believe in themselves, and we don't need that. We need to stop it. Yeah, I definitely think Elizabeth Holt is a very clear, <laughs> is a clear person who maybe should have doubted herself a couple times a little exactly. bit more. Absolutely. It's so weird because we're telling women not to do it. We're like, go, get it. You can do it. Um, but yeah, my favorite thing about 
real equality is Elizabeth Holmes being able to get to that point and even get yeah. that level of support and money to then defraud a bunch of people. <laughs> I'm like, go women. We can do anything at all. Yeah. So, yeah, it's it's really interesting to me. And as I was reading a couple of quotes from the Bad Blood book, which is – and forgive me, I've never heard his name spoken out loud. It's John Carreyrou. Carreyrou? Carreyrou. Carreyrou. Okay. Um, where, you know, he talks a little bit about whether or not she could be considered a sociopath. Mm. And, you know, while we're not going to diagnose her, really, um, there's clearly a moral compass that is really – you know, badly off kilter. And, you know, while he's not going to sort of, again, diagnose her, he really thinks that she has some sociopathic qualities. And so I wonder if, you know, in Stanford, she's in this time of her life where that's really kind of starting to pop up with for her. Well, I think that was interesting, because I, I think he's the same one that referred to her uh, when he was talking about Bernie Madoff, or maybe it was another guy, but I thought it was him. And he said, you know, there were some similarities between the two. They were both smart, charming bullies, which I thought was really interesting because, you know, again, in her childhood, it talks about how she had been bullied. And so it's interesting that she became the bully. And it's so interesting that so many of the things that she did, she became, you know, the female version of Steve Jobs and all of these things. Like, did she just want to become a facsimile of all of these people that affected her in some way. And I don't know. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's, I mean, that's what she wanted. And it's just like, kind of like forgetting that a lot of these people are not good themselves. Uh, they are, like, these are not people that you want to model yourselves after. Like, looking at like Mark Zuckerberg and like, Im- imagine being like, this is who I want to be. Absolutely yeah. not. Never. You're totally right. It takes a really special kind of person to look at Steve Jobs and Mark Zuckerberg and be like, that's what I would love to model myself after. Because in essence, they sort of represent, but oh, I will say they represent huge, huge change in terms of like societal advancement. And so I think focusing on that part and not necessarily whether or not they're well-adjusted, happy people. I was reading an kind of like an ink, an old INC, you know, she was on the cover of that kind of when the revamp of Theranos happened. But they were talking a little bit about kind of her day to day life. And just the fact that, you know, that she was like notoriously secretive, that she didn't had time, like, quote, didn't have time for novels or friends didn't date doesn't own a television, hasn't taken a vacation in 10 years. It's like, what capitalism wants us all to be personified, you yeah, know? Yeah, and, and people, like, you know, glorify that. Like, you see yes. so many articles about, like, how Steve Jobs and, uh, and like, Tim Cook and all of these people, like, wake up at, like, 4 a.m. They and sleep two and a half hours and, like... Exactly, and you do all of these things and, like, you have to wake up before the stock market is open or shit like that. And it's yeah. just, like... What a fucking bunch of psychos. Yes, it's uh, that's exactly it. <laughs> like humans are not supposed to live this way. That's exactly it. It's like, like a guide for psychos. You know what I mean? For sure. It's like if you want to be a psychopath, just live your life in these specific ways. And then, yeah, I guess you can kind of be a billionaire a little bit. 
But what was interesting, I mean, one thing that one scene that really stuck out to me was like, you know, as she's building this company and then she decides like, I need to get a new car and she decides the new car is going to be a Prius. And she says, you know, that's what everyone's getting. So it's interesting, like it's every what's everyone's getting. So there's that element, but also you're getting a Prius. So you're being very like responsible. And then as she's driving, she spills coffee all over herself and she's on the phone and she's like, oh, shoot, spilled coffee. And her mom's like, well, don't you have a cup holder? And it, like they never answered. Like maybe she did get the lowest model without even a cup holder. But just things like that stood out to me where it was yeah. like she was modeling after all of these people. But then she also did seem to have want to keep this humbleness. But was that humbleness, again, part of the character development? Like I need to maintain these qualities, in, I, you know? Well, yeah. I mean, she was talking about like Mark Zuckerberg and how he, you know, like was just coming out like in flip flops and like, you know, these like just very normal t-shirts and stuff like that so that's the thing they also think about themselves about like not materialistic and they're doing this to change the world and like they have to keep humble while also have ideas that are like you know i'm gonna change the universe and i'm like (laughs) you can't have it both ways no you can't and the other the other part of it is so she's at Stanford at this moment, and as depicted in you know the dropout, she goes to the medicine professor Phyllis Gardner, who is still currently at Stanford, and Gardner basically is saying like, "Oh, I don't think your idea is going to work. I think it's impossible." And so there's yeah. this there's that thing of like it's impossible um, that they then warp into well, if you think it's impossible, you're yeah. never going to make it happen we're the people with the dream and we're able to make it happen. And they're like, well, no, physics and chemistry are real <laughs> tangible things. <laughs> they have to fit within the universe of reality. You can't exactly. just... Yeah. You can't outdream science. It's- <laughs> exactly. You can't outdream science. And this is what I like to call, and I think I've told you guys about this before, but you just transcend something. You know that there's a truth. You know that you yeah. should probably be a vegan and that you should probably, this is me personally talking, um, you know, because you believe in the rights of animals, but you just transcend that notion and you just mm. push forward in the direction that you feel like pushing forward. First, can I say that a... You can't outdream science. You need to trademark that, Mohanad. I want that on a t-shirt immediately. Let's start selling that. I'm sorry, trademark. Second, but can we just talk for a second about uh, Phyllis Gardner and the amazing casting job they did in the dropout with Laurie Metcalf? Like, I I have my own, like, passionate love affair with Laurie Metcalf, like, ever since, like, she got sort of, like, revitalized in that show Getting On. Uh, It was, like, an HBO Mm -hmm. show that lasted, Mm -hmm. like, I think two or three seasons. But, you know, like, Roseanne, like, I've loved her forever. But this casting that they did for Phyllis Gardner, who is just a gravelly... Just sort of cantankerous, like what you would imagine, what I would imagine like an Ivy League professor is, right? Like, but in that way that no bullshit, she cuts to the chase. She, I mean, every interview, it's her. She does not change her beliefs about Elizabeth. Oh, yeah. (laughs) In her Wikipedia, I think the first line says, one of the first people that was suspicious of Elizabeth Holmes, like literally line one. Um, but yeah, Lori is doing such a great job of it. I just want to like point that out. That's so funny. And Elizabeth Holmes, uh, truther. <laughs> and a pre-truther too. She's like, I knew from the very beginning. No, 
It'll be on her gravestone. Like, I Which swear. honestly, <laughs> is there a more feminist thing you can do? Because all those dudes that are like investing in Elizabeth, to a certain extent, they're like falling for the sort of like, they're almost like romanticizing her in some way and putting her on this strange pedestal and wanting her to be like this person or this leader that she is not and does yeah. not have the skill set to be. Um, versus Gardner, who <laughs> literally is like a professor of clinical pharmacology and is like a crazy expert in this whole like microfluidic stuff that they talk about on the dropout. And she's like, no, I see through you, bad woman. There's bad women, too. It's so true. And I see it and you're bad. Yeah, because like, here's, you know, Phyllis, who's like, I've done all of the things. I never used my sexuality to give it a head. Like I never tried to flirt my way. I did the work and you have to do the work. And I think she just felt like Elizabeth, like wasn't even willing to do the work. Like, you know, like you take a few classes and then you think you're going to start a whole company. And it's just interesting because I think that there is, there is so much belief that that can happen because some of that did happen, right? Like people did start these businesses and you thought anything was possible, but it's like when it comes to medicine, no, there is just things that are medicine. Like you said, what is it, Mohanid? You can't out dream. Hi there, it's Julia Louis-Dreyfus. You may know me from my podcast called Wiser Than Me, where I talk to older women and get their wisdom from the front lines of life. After season one aired, I was amazed by how many people told me our show made them look forward to getting older, which is why I'm here to talk about season two of the show. Sally Field, Billie Jean King, Beverly Johnson, Ina Garten, Bonnie Ray, just to name a few, and of course, my 90-year-old mom, Judy. All hail old women. Wiser Than Me Season 2 is out now from Lemonada Media. Hi, I'm June Diane Raphael. And I'm Jessica St. Clair. And each week we are sitting down to talk all about life's twists, turns, and absurdities on The Deep Dive. From exploring the depths of TikTok, which is our only news source, to navigating the complexities of grief and loss, we are just two best friends behind a mic processing life together. This podcast is all about finding the silver linings in the madness. So get ready for unfiltered conversations about motherhood, careers, pop culture, and everything in between. Here at The Deep Dive, we're all about community. We believe in the power of sharing experiences and the strength that comes from supporting one another. And we would love to have you with us. So be sure to join us every Wednesday on The Deep Dive from Lemonada Media, wherever you get your podcasts. You know, the first time I ever heard Elizabeth Holmes' name, I think was in 2015 when she was named the youngest self-made billionaire, right? Yeah, same. Mm -hmm. And to learn that this company started in 2004 and wasn't indicted until, I think, 2017. Yeah. You're telling me (laughs) that for over a decade, this woman was getting people to give her hundreds of millions of dollars 
and nobody even saw the damn machine. Like this, I'm sorry, this, if this had been a black woman, the chapter would have been about two pages long. There's no way <laughs> no, we would have yeah. gotten past, oh, I need some audited financials. I need your personal net worth file. Like there would have been so many things that um, anyone else would have had to get to get to this point. Uh, decade? Decade? No. This reminds me of like a tweet that I read, what, which was about the Tinder swindler which uh, someone, like a black woman tweeted, and she was like, uh, this whole Tinder swindler thing would never happen to me because thanks to systemic racism, there is no bank that will give me this loan. Absolutely not. Absolutely not. I was like, I kept looking at it, I was like, uh, yeah, we wouldn't, story would have ended here. (laughs) Yeah, and it's insane. And and it's, and, and, uh, what what is the name of the doctor or the professor that did not believe in Elizabeth Holmes? Uh, Phyllis Gardner. Yeah, so Phyllis Gardner, like I I remember, like one of the one of the things that she was like, yeah, she was charming these old white men, and they were giving right. her money, and there were videos, like even in Congress or like people who are in charge of like pharmaceutical companies and stuff like that, like they literally telling Elizabeth, you're just you're just amazing, and I'm like, what is about this that is just so fascinating to you is it the voice is it actually working that is the thing that is like blowing my mind (laughs) that fucking voice has worked yeah i'm gonna start using it for the rest of this episode (laughs) yeah it's insane because it does it it does not sound real no it doesn't and there was a study done that basically there's this thing where like it was a study I read about essentially talking about the fact of like what we find trustworthy in terms of voices. And it is true that men and women find deeper voices more trustworthy than higher pitched voices. Um, That is like a scientific fact. So I could see how based on that, people are like, wow, deep, dark, gravelly voice. That is absolutely worth. I think at the end, she ended up embezzling a total of $700 million from investors. So that's that's what that deep gravelly voice is worth. I'm I'm gonna start doing that. Uh, I know, like I have <laughs> yeah. a deeper voice as a man, but I'm gonna keep make it deeper. You know, every, every like every time we end this podcast, um, I'm gonna I'm gonna be like, uh, hey everyone, uh, if you can like tell people to subscribe, <laughs> and like we need more listeners, please subscribe. And, uh, this is my Venmo if you wanna if you wanna send me money and uh, please listen to I'm sorry like it's the best podcast ever like I think we deserve seven hundred million dollars. Oh, I'm swayed. You really you yeah. got me. Thank you. Um, Thank you absolutely. so much. Absolutely. Yeah. Going to rate and review now. <laughs> yeah, and so she basically funds and expands the entire company. I think it's like by the, in the end of 2010, Theranos has ninety two million dollars in Jesus, venture yeah. capital at that point. So she raised six million to start off just to fund the firm, but then six years later, ninety-two million in venture capital. And then then she meets with former Secretary of State George Schultz, and then he joins the Theranos Board of Directors. And really, this is when it fully takes off because shortly thereafter they announce their partnership with Walgreens. And so in the show, they do a really good job at explaining kind of the difference between retail and launching in retail versus launching through Pfizer through like the specific kind of like uh, pharmaceutical team because pharmaceuticals are highly regulated in ways that retail isn't and so they launch kind of this in-store blood sample collection for their centers 
And um, this is also when she appears in Inc. in 2014. And then they recognize her as 110 on the Forbes list of self-made female billionaires. And that's all based basically on the value of the company. So it's not like a liquid amount of money that she has. And like one of the, I mean, I will say like, as somebody who doesn't know a lot about venture cap, or like, I feel like I didn't know a lot, especially back in 2015, right? And like, or 2017, I didn't know a lot. I know a little more, but it has been this like sort of secret society thing. Yeah. Um, And to learn that, you know, these companies that get these private investments don't have to have the same sort of regulation as other companies. It was like, oh, wow. Now I understand why this, because I all, I, I've always called this stuff funny money. It's just funny money to me. You're telling me this company's worth nine billion. Why? Because they don't have to prove why. They yeah. just have to like get enough people to say, I believe in this company, don't have to show any records yeah. to support it. And then they can just kind of like live that way in a bubble. And then next thing I know, the stock market's dropped, recessions hit, I've lost my job, gas prices through the roof. That's all I know. <laughs> That's when it starts to affect us. Yeah. And people believe them. People like if you have enough money and you like you look like you know what you're doing. They'll just give you anything. And I think we need some diversity in this scammers world. You know, like <laughs> yeah. we need more people of color, more black people who are like can just scam their way into doing yeah. stuff. I want to be a billionaire for, for a few years. Yeah. Yes. I don't want none of this little mom and pop scams. I want systemic level scamming on behalf of POC people. Um, and I want them to get away with it. That's what's crazy. You know, like if you were to ask like a bunch of like, you know, well, I'll say racist white people, right? Like who commits the most crime? They would probably blame, you know, black people, Mexican people, whatever. But it's like, okay, but do we like go into the healthcare system and like completely try to defraud like them? They're getting blood tests where they think they have cancer and then don't the next day. Like that's way more harmful than I don't know. Maybe or like- even 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 worse, seeing that you don't have cancer and then you have it, and then only learning after it's like too late when it's like stage four or something, and you literally kill the person now. Yeah, because yeah. if you're because if you're dumb shit because you think you believe in yourself. Yeah. yeah, that's true crime if you ask me. Yeah, it is. Yeah. No, it truly is. Like you put these people' lives in jeopardy. You killed people. That's not. I mean, sorry. Like, like fuck your dreams at that point. Like, it's yeah. just it's a it's about people. Trademark that one too. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> fuck your dreams. <laughs> And it just sucks because, like, this is, like, you know, tech industry, startup industry, like, the whole Silicon Valley thing. And, I mean, like, this is, like, present in other industries, too. Like, if you, like, if you're in the entertainment industry and you are, like, as a person of color or, like, black person or something, you want to, like, pitch a show or do something, you have to just literally put your soul into it and just put so much. And then you see a show like, I don't know, Emily in Paris. Yeah. I'm like, I can never pitch a show like that. I'm just like, yeah, women in Paris or just like fucking, I don't know, she doesn't know what she's doing. They'd be like, fuck yourself. (laughs) Oh my God. Yeah, and tying this particular thing back to kind of like the downfall in in particular, is like she's primed to in some ways, like almost like just the full 10 years to go by and for her to get her technology. Like it's almost like she just had to make it far enough, but couldn't. Like the technology was too far away yeah. for her work, for then her actual actions and for the meat to catch up yeah. with all the talk that she had put into it. 
And so, I mean, was the technology far away or was she just living in sci-fi the whole time and it was never going to be possible? I mean, that's what's even more insane to me. Yeah. And and we're going to talk about it more in, you know, as we break down the court case. But as I understand the court case, they really make a case for that distinction. Like that is what that distinction is what the court case is really all about is how much did she know? Was she doing it intentionally? Or was she really a person who was, you know, on her way to this thing that she was promising, and then sort of lost it along the way. But this particular moment, she's kind of at her height. And then this is when the John Carreyrou and the Wall Street Journal initiate the investigation of Theranos. And he received a tip from a medical expert specifically, who Mm. thought that the Edison blood testing device, which shows up in the show, was suspicious. And then Carreyrou ends up speaking to all the ex-employee whistleblowers and obtains company documents. And this is when she's being at her most secretive, really. So she really is trying to avoid this from coming out. And, um, you know, reveals that they had been using like commercially available machines to do the job that they were saying that the Edison machine was doing, and then used just a huge amount of kind of strong arm tactics and legal, you know, threats in order to try to stop the article from coming out. But yeah. this is when we really get into Holmes is denying all the claims. She is, you know, she goes on mad money the day that the article from the Wall Street Journal is published and is just basically like goes through her regular spiel. When everybody doubts her, she's like, well, this is what the status quo wants to do when you're trying to disrupt a, yeah. you know, a, a, a billion, billion dollar, dollar industry, industry or whatever. Yeah. Um, and then, and her quote was, and then she goes, first they think you're crazy, then they fight you, and then all of a sudden you change the world. And in that all of a sudden, <laughs> I just laughed so hard at that quote because just the words all of a sudden – It really reminded me back to Phyllis Gardner, where she's like, do the work. It doesn't happen all of a sudden. Yeah. It cannot happen all of a sudden. And But she's still at the height of it, is using that language to describe it. Well, even her line in the article that was being written about her, where she was referred to, um, he said it was comically vague when he was describing, you know, walking through and seeing the lab. And that's what set off the investigation by Carrie Rue, I believe, is like reading that like comically vague. Everything about her is very vague. <laughs> like, I, I think that she really believed that this is going to work eventually. Yeah, I think you know? so. Like, yeah. I don't think that she was like, I want to defraud people and hurt people. But at the same time, she was just like, I am willing to do anything for this to work. And that is the problem. Is that yeah. you think it's work? And if you know, if you sacrifice few people in the way, that is for the greater good. And I think that's the problem that people think about is that they, like, if you hurt few people in the way to the greater good, whatever that is, because they believe that they can do that, then that's fine. You know, it's kind of like the trolley problem. You know, like one person or five people. Like, I sacrifice four or five people to these experiments, but I'll save hundreds of lives. Yeah. But I also feel like that is the reason she kept Sunny around. I mean, you know, her and Sunny hid their relationship for what, like 12, 13 years or mm-hmm. something yeah. like that. Mm-hmm. And um, there was an interesting, you know, in The Inventor, which was the um, HBO, you know, original sort of documentary before, any, you know, any of the, the cases had started. Yeah. They were talking about this like lie detector test that they were doing with Dice, um, this behavioral analysis guy. And saying how, you know, when people roll the dice and you don't ask 
ask and what they picked and then you they're to reveal it afterwards, you know, they always end up, you know, getting it right. But of course, the lie detector picks up that they're lying. But if you change the dynamics where it's like, okay, if you roll this dice, a charity that you want to get money gets money. Mm. Even if they're lying, it doesn't show up on the lie detector test because they believe if they're doing something good, yeah. it's not a lie anymore. And I feel like that's part of the reason she kept Sunny around so long because he he fawned over her, right? She wanted people always who were fawning over her. Yeah. And because he was never going to doubt her and he was just going to be like this echo chamber back she started being able to just convince herself more and more because she's like, as long as this guy is telling me it's okay, then it's okay. I'm not doing anything wrong. And I think she probably could pass a lie detector test because she legitimately thought she was still doing good. Yeah. She incepted herself, essentially. Yeah. And if there's anyone I should trust the judgment of is the man who's dating a woman 20 years younger than him. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, We know that. Yeah. That man is like, has sound judgment. Yeah. That he met when when they were 18 and he was just the only adult in this. Jesus Christ. Yeah. Yeah. And and she was like, yeah, this is the man that I think has a very good judgment. Mm -hmm. Well, Well, let's let's go for it. Agreed. Well, I'm excited to cover her relationship with Balwani, how it shows up in the court case, and some of the more like explosive things that happened um, while she was on the stand. This is a really interesting court case, and it kind of spans relationships, healthcare, drama, there's babies, there's marriage. I mean, I I swear to God, um, I feel like the court case is really um, exciting. So I can't wait to talk about that next week. Do you ever get hit with a cringy memory of your 13-year-old self out of nowhere and suddenly you're panic sweating and laughing at the same time? Don't, don't worry, don't worry. We all get that. It's because being an adolescent is one of the most visceral shared experiences we have as people. And we want to talk about it. Join me, Penn Badgley, and my two friends, Nava and Sophie, on Podcrushed as we interview celebrity guests about the joys and horrors of being a teenager and how those moments made them who they are today. New episodes of Podcrushed are out now wherever you get your podcasts. Two young fathers are shot to death outside an iconic Utah restaurant. I said, your dad has been hurt really bad. The grief was disorienting for those left behind until one choice changed everything. I just remember writing this letter and it wasn't me writing it. Can a personal decision shape generations? We're all falling for this guy's trick. I'm Amy Donaldson. Season two of The Letter, Ripple Effect, is available now. Follow us at theletterpodcast.com or wherever you get your podcasts. Okay, now it's time for my favorite segment of every week, which is Sorry Not Sorry, where we either apologize to someone or have someone apologize to us. And I'm going to start with Oha. What's, what's happening this week? Well, um, I would like to apologize for being a hater. I was a hater um, in this one particular occasion. I'm a hater at many points in my life. Um, Mm -hmm. Big, judgmental person. Even though I don't say anything, I have many judgments inside of my head. I'm so sorry. I'm I'm working on that. But I have a a couple of friends, and they were very good friends of mine. And um, they got together maybe like four years ago, and they got married over the weekend. You know, they had a very small wedding very far away, so I couldn't go. But Mm -hmm. when they first started their relationship, I just had flash backs of me actively 
actively being like, that's never going to work out. Like, I was so such a hater about their relationship because I thought he was much more interested in her than she seemed interested in him. And I gave him so much bad advice. I said so many things that's probably just absolutely not true, but I'm just very happy for them that they made it through my haterade, uh, pushed through the doubt of all of their friends and family and have like an awesome relationship. So yeah, just shoot the messenger sometimes. I was a bad messenger and just do your thing. Don't listen to me, you know? <laughs> I, I will never listen to your advice if that helps. I, I, and I never did in the past too. You know? <laughs> I know it's a beautiful thing. <laughs> yeah, to have friends that you don't listen to. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I'm glad they made it. Uh, yeah, you know that was their. Uh, I don't know. Honestly, the odds are against them and for me, but um, I'm, oh, you're I've still decided... going. You're still well, going. I know. At it. I know. You still want to win? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, no, no. Bless you guys. You guys are. You're going to be amazing. You're going to be together forever. Mm. Okay. I've heard that. Okay. Okay. Uh, Kiki, what's, uh, do you, do you have something, you know, uh, less hateful? <laughs> um, a little bit less hateful. Um, I think I'm going to apologize. I think I'm going to offer a future apology to everyone. I don't know how long it's going to last, maybe for the next few months, for everyone that I complain to about gas prices, because like, mm. this is the first time I've had a car in a long time. And California already has like really expensive gas compared to like everyone else because supposedly they have additives in them. So they like increase the price. I don't really know. But there's like one gas station that always has really cheap gas. I think I've talked about this before and I said like, oh, it's cheaper <laughs> gas. Maybe it doesn't make my car go. But you know, it's the cheapest gas. Yeah. It's never gone above $5, which is like pretty normal in California, mm -hmm. like a lot. Of, and so I'm like, okay, I'm going to go there because they never hit above five. And this weekend, driving by over $5. And that wow. was when I was like, it's over. See, here's the good thing about living in New York City. I have no idea what the gas price is. And here's the thing. There's a gas station right in front of my building. <laughs> like, I can literally look out of the window and see the screen. And I have never bothered because I'm, I'm not paying for the uh, subway train to move. <laughs> yeah. So I don't care. I don't look at it. People just complain about gas prices. I'm like, I don't know. Move to New York. Here's a crazy idea. I mean, just coming from me, maybe more public transportation, should, like more money should be put in public transportation. This is just me being crazy right now. It's a wild idea. That and electric cars, which are totally yeah. feasible. These are two completely out there ideas. Yeah, yeah. Well, I don't have anything this week that is, is as, you know, as insane as gas prices or wishing <laughs> yeah. people break up for my own, uh, you know, so I can feel bad about myself. Uh, no, I'm honestly, it's a very small thing. But y you know, like when you go to a uh, like a restaurant or something and they keep, you know, like when they, they come to you and ask you how how is the meal going, mm -hmm. which is nice. You know, they do it. And you're like, it's going great. Even if you still haven't tasted it yet. I'm like, this yeah. is awesome. Amazing. <laughs> Thank you so much for checking. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I was doing a show at Union Hall last night, and then I went to a Mexican food place right by it. And I swear, like no exaggeration, if maybe seven times a different person or like the same person would come to us and just ask her, like, how's the food going? Do you want drinks? And it's just like, 
I am here for food. Please leave me alone. <laughs> like they kept like going at us like to the point where like, you know what? I want to check. I just want to leave, really. Like I, I don't want to drink. It's it's it, why is it why is it that complicated? Oh my god. I wonder if they got like a really bad Yelp review and the managers were like, You need to make sure that you check on <laughs> all of the customers because we can't have bad Maybe. services on our Yelp review. And I get it. And I honestly think people who, uh, you know, like, like leaving a Yelp review is one thing. Like sometimes like you have a, such a bad experience that you just have to be like warn other people, you know, it's to that point. But like, you know, there are like people like who leave Yelp reviews to any place that they go to. <laughs> and even though I believe in abolishing prisons, I do think, as we still have prisons, these people should be there, uh, right. just locked behind bars. Uh, because, like, if you're just like le- const- like that's a, some a hobby you have where you like, just like leave Yelp reviews because it does stuff like this where it affects the rest of us who just are not complaining and just want to have a good experience. And it's why Uber drivers like they feel like they have to talk to you because other douchebags are just like three stars. The driver did not acknowledge my existence, and I'm like, no, that's a five star experience for me. <laughs> yeah uh, you're such a harsh punisher mo like you're just like you really truly do not believe in uh a comeback arch you do not believe in you know the resolution of the human spirit you truly are like jail these people forever i'm done and i appreciate that i kind believe of, in the like... human spirit of the people in the customer service industry <laughs> right. and and i think people who because i worked in customer service and i think if you are making these people lives any harder you truly deserve nothing (laughs) i will say that like i was an avid yelper but it was positive reviews only because i wanted to counteract a lot of these service you know related reviews and if it was a small business i wanted to make sure people knew how good it was so that is good yeah no, I think that's literally that's how it should be done. Like, if I have a bad experience somewhere, like usually I'm just like, okay, personally, I'm never going back there. Yeah, and that's right. it. It's it's so simple. Right. If I like it, I want I want other people to go there, so I'll just you know I'll review it. But the whole thing about going into like a doing a bad like. I don't know, maybe it was my experience. Maybe it's like on a different day, someone will have a bad experience. Who knows? I will complain if it's like atrocious like i you know yeah. if you go through my yelp history which now you probably will they're like <laughs> they're, i remember today. in particular that it's like i went into like um like a beauty supply store and the person behind the counter refused to take my credit card and it just felt very racially motivated wow. <laughs> and i just felt like you know what yeah you're getting a review i'm sorry like i'm not gonna keep sending people you know so i will do it but i get it like I should just sometimes I just have to let it go. But sometimes I, I just can't. <laughs> okay, where do you guys stand? And if you get a meal or something that you don't like, do you send it back? Or are you like, I ordered this. It's what seemed good to me. I have to eat it. I will return um, not like every single thing, but like overcooked meat. I will return things that are not are cold. I will return if yeah. it just tastes bad, I generally don't. I'm just like, oh, no, that was bad. You know, like, because it's just probably <laughs> yeah. going to be just as bad the next time. Like, the, the chef doesn't know what they're doing. That's yeah. what they intended for it to be bad. <laughs> what about you, Mo? I, I don't think I've ever sent food back, really. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I'm just, It's you know. the scariest thing in the world to me. I just, 
I just, I'm like, okay, maybe this isn't the place for me. I get stressed out when I have to return a, a dish. Same, I hate it. Same, yeah. <laughs> Truly hate it. Can't think of a thing I hate more right now. Other than happy couples. <laughs> right. Yeah, it seems You're like right. it. Oh, huh? I mean, hey, it's okay. <laughs> hey, I thought this was a safe space to be an asshole, okay? And now I'm getting called out again? Yeah, well. I already came to the table with my apology. That should be done now. You thought wrong. I'm Sorry is a Lemonada Media original. The show is produced by Alex McCohen. Supervising producer is Chrissy Pease. Our executive producers are Stephanie Whittles-Wax and Jessica Cordova-Kramer. Our mix is by Kat Yore, and theme music was composed by Xander Singh. If you like this show, please rate and review. And please don't cancel us. You can find out more about our show at Lemonada Media on all social platforms or follow us on Instagram at I'm Sorry underscore podcast we'll be back next week and until then be nice play fair and always say i'm sorry thanks for listening feeling decision fatigue about what to make for dinner we get it i'm jane black and i'm liz dunn we're veteran food journalists and as parents ourselves we know how hard it can be to feed your family that's why we created pressure cooker a podcast that offers practical strategies for navigating the marketing madness and cultural expectations around mealtime. Each week, we'll check in with the experts. From social media diet trends to baby-led weaning and AI meal planning, we have all your food-related questions covered. Listen to Pressure Cooker wherever you get your podcasts. Last Day from Lemonada Media explores the moments that change us. Those times where you look back and say, whoa, one day I was myself and the next I wasn't. I'm Stephanie Whittles-Wax, and I have seen time and time again how sharing these stories can change lives. So, do you have a moment in your life that changed you, fundamentally and forever? What happened? How did you move through it? And how did you eventually start again? If you'd like to share your story, go to bit.ly slash lastdaystories, bit.ly slash lastdaystories. We can't wait to hear from you.